Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We love having you here, and it's our mission to bring you all the latest and greatest tips, skills, and know-how to make you the best that you can be. We know that you have it in you, and we're going to show you how. Now, now, let's get started. This meeting is being recorded. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Vicki Dills with Physical Therapy Innovations. Today we are speaking with Dr. Eric Keene, who is a graduate from Long Island University in Brooklyn campus. He graduated in 2014 with a doctorate of physical therapy, where he received a clinical education award. Since graduating, he's specialized in manual therapy and therapeutic exercises treating orthopedic and sports patients in an outpatient setting. He completed his residency and certification through the Institute of Physical Art at Elite Health Services in Old Greenwich, Connecticut, where he graduated with honors. Following his residency, Eric stayed on as a residency director, where he mentored residents and screened patients, I'm sorry, treated patients for four additional years while adding to his skill set and knowledge through the Postural Restoration Institute, the Spinal Manipulation Institute, the Gray Institute, the Mobility Wad, and he is board certified in orthopedics through the APTA. Eric, thanks for, for coming on today. Um, sounds like you have a great background and a lot of experience. Happy to hear what you have to share with us today. Well, I really appreciate you having me on and big thanks to, to Jim Wagner for introducing us as well. So absolutely. Yeah, we talked with Jim a couple of weeks ago on the show and he was he had high praises and a lot of good things to say about your handlebar. So I know you're going to share that with us today, too. So thanks, Jim, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, well, well, thanks again for having me on. I'm so passionate about this field and, and what I can kind of give back to has given so much to me. So. I guess the, the easiest place to start is kind of just, you know, you kind of summarize my background, but, mm -hmm. but before I was a physical therapist, I was a strength and conditioning coach mm -hmm. and I still think of myself a lot like a coach. So when I was coaching before, um, we were able to apply these very high level principles and potent stimuli to help people move and feel better. And I was always like, when I went to physical therapy school, I was hoping to be able to kind of solve some of these athletes' problems. Like, you know, they'd come in, they'd have shoulder pain. It, it would get in the way of us being able to overhead press that day. Um, or they'd have back pain and we couldn't squat. And I wanted to figure out how to kind of fix some of these problems. And that's what led me to, to that. So I've always kind of looked at it through that, that athletic lens. But then when I was in school, I realized like, okay, well, well, my parents also need help and my grandparents need help and everyone needs help. But what's always kind of been in the back of my mind and the question I've come to at this point in my career has been, how do we apply high level principles that we've learned in strength and conditioning and apply it to helping everyone to move and feel better? So that, that was kind of the, the impetus for, for creating the, the handlebar. It was one patient that I was, I was working with that I was struggling to help. And he was having some medial elbow pain. And I'm trained in a lot of manual therapy. I was doing some, some PNF diagonals with him, manually resisted. And, and I found this is going to be kind of like esoteric and a little bit uh, specific, but he was really weak in an extension um, abduction interrotation pattern. And, and I was like, huh, I wonder why that is. And that reproduced some of his medial elbow pain. So I ended up tracing that back to a medial tricep weakness that seemed to be like he was getting some adduction weakness there. And I was like, huh, well, how do I resist this um, in a therapeutic standpoint? So what I took was one of those like mini hurdles that you would jump over. 
Right. And I had him lay in his stomach and he just did a scap retraction with a squeeze and the, the adduction component and some extension. And it just lit up his tricep. And then we paired that with some manual therapy. Um, and it seemed to clear up his pain a lot. So I was like, huh, okay, I think we're on to something here. And then I went from the, the hurdle to a PVC pipe. That was my original prototype. And, and now, if you can see, it, it's turned into an aluminum telescopic device that's even lighter than the, the and it's adjust, And it's adjustable, too, for different exercises, I noticed. So. You got it. And that was like, I, I think I made like maybe like five or six different size PVC. Uh, they were called the U before, and now I changed it into the handlebar. Um, and that's spelled differently, right? Everyone. Yeah, you got it, Vicky. So yeah, it was originally called the U and then no one liked that name other than me, plus the University of Miami and all that stuff. So right. <laughs> yeah, but then um, it's, it's kind of funny, but I was like trying to figure out a name. Everyone said it looked like a bicycle handlebar, but I didn't like that name at all. <laughs> and so I was like at home, I was pondering, I was cutting the grass. And then I was like, wait a second. And I just spelled the handlebar with a U-L. And, and that made me happy, made everybody else happy. So that was because uh, it's U-shaped. <laughs> yeah, now that makes sense. Uh, I was wondering where the name came from. So it's H-A-N-D-U-L-B-A-R when people yeah. start looking for it. So that's an interesting. I was wondering how you came up with that. So mowing the lawn, all <laughs> yeah. great ideas come from yard work for sure. <laughs> you got it. You got it. So you, uh, you also have a course, which I was privileged to, to watch. Um, online as well, teaching the principles that you use with the handlebar. Um, why don't we talk about that a little bit? You talk, um, I mean, there's several um, courses that you have on there that people can, we'll give the website at the end where people can look for that. But um, I like how you described isometrics, how they play into collagen production. And, um, and when you discuss the rotator cuff, most people will look at it as a muscle tear. And you talk about how it's either a tear or a degeneration of the tendon and how your exercises will actually work to help re regenerate and to kind of alleviate some of the pain. Yeah, you got it. So it's funny. Like I feel like in no other diagnosis in the body, you know, we'll call the rotator cuff tear. You know, we'll call it a rotator cuff tear, but mm -hmm. we wouldn't call an Achilles tendinopathy a gastroc problem. You know, mm -hmm. we're naming it by its muscle as opposed to what's actually injured, which is the tendon. So when you train a muscle versus, you train, versus training a tendon, you, you train them very differently. And when you use isotonics, it loads the muscle differently than an isometric. So the original research I came across with, with isometrics was mostly Jill Cook and Ebony Rio, which was more of the, the centrally mediated analgesic effects of isometrics. And that's all fantastic. And she has some wonderful research that's shown that, you know, up to 45 minutes after you can have immediate um, reduction in pain. Um, but then I came across this wonderful researcher named Keith Barr at, at, at UC Davis. And he's looked at more like the mechanical properties of isometrics and isotonics and how they load the tendon differently. So if you think about like your classic um, let's, let's say like supraspinatus. The, the supraspinatus is the most commonly involved tendon um, when the rotator cuff is injured. And, and there's a great clinical prediction rule for rotator cuff issues. When I was studying for the OCS, I came across all those. Um, you have someone who's older than 65 years old, um, pain at night trying to sleep. We hear this stuff all the time. Um, mid-arc pain and weakness external rotation. And then if it's really bad, a full thickness tear, they'll have a positive drop arm sign as well. 
But when you're thinking about those patients and if they have a tendon issue, then you have to think about it differently. So let's say our classic supraspinatus exercise is um, scaption. That's a classic way to progressively load the supraspinatus. Um, what Keith Barr talks about, if you just do scaption, you just kind of do your regular exercise through there, something called stress shielding occurs. And stress shielding is when the healthy part of the tendon takes the load versus if you hold it up there, it requires all parts of the tendon to work. And the way it does that is through when you hold your arm up there, the healthy part of the tendon starts to relax over time. The, the tendon contracts, water gets squeezed out of it, and then the collagen fibers get loaded. So, and, and the reason that stress shielding happens, the reason that stress relaxation happens is because of the principles um, of the tissue is that it's viscoelastic. And, and that was a word I learned about in PT school. I was like, okay, how on earth does this pertain to, to practice at all? And, and the reason it does is because viscoelasticity is defined as the ability of a tissue to act as a solid and a liquid, depending upon the speed at which you load it. So if you load something quickly, the tendon's more stiff. It's like if you're jumping rope, the, the Achilles kind of works more like a spring um, versus if you load something slowly and you hold it, that's when the water starts to get squeezed out of the tendon and then the collagen fibers um, get loaded in the area that need it. So basically viscoelasticity, if you move it quickly, stress shielding occurs. And then if you load it slowly, stress relaxation occurs. Now, the reason stress relaxation is so important and that loading a tendon is important is because we all learned in school that tendons don't heal quite as well as muscles. And why is that? Because they don't have as good a blood supply. So then blood supply carries nutrition and helps with healing. Then how do you, how do you bring nutrition to a tendon? And that's through loading. So if the injured part of the tendon is always being shielded, if you're doing isotonics, it never sees load. So, so that's the big difference. And if you do the isometric, that's the missing piece in actually treating the whole and not just the donut. That's where the, the huge paradigm shift has been from Keith Barr's research. And also understanding that by, by putting some stress on the, the injured tendon, it helps to promote proper collagen healing. You got it. So, and, and that is so key because when, you know, there, there's still cells in that injured part of the tendon, but they're not aligned. And until you give it that stimulus, and then the, the tendon's like, oh, so I have this linear stress. Now I know which way to align the fibers and lay down collagen. And I think a lot of that is missed in, in rehab. Everybody, it seems like when I when I work with students or work with new new grads, everybody's in a big hurry to get to sideline external rotation because EMG shows that that's one of the best ways to um, recruit the muscle. And they kind of speed right past the isometrics, forgetting what, what is gonna, gonna happen as you go through the isometrics. So even, even when you are treating a rotator cuff repair and things like that, people try to speed right through them. And I think they're forgetting a big part of the healing process and the benefits of isometrics. And one of, the, 
one of the other things I like about um, what you do with a handlebar is you can go to isometrics, but I, I don't know how to say this without people being able to see what, what I can do, but isometrics with movement. So you can isometric external rotation with some shoulder active shoulder flexion, things like that. So you can progress um, as well. You got it. Yeah. We call that um, the layering. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you were to imagine, you know, if people can see me or can't see me, it doesn't matter. If you imagine your arms are at neutral and you do like an external rotation motion, mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm, I'm isometric in the transverse plane, but then you start to like do maybe an uppercut. Mm -hmm. So like now what is, is an isotonic is it isometric. So we're, we're calling that layering isometric within an isotonic. And, and the reason we, we find that so impactful is, you know, we, we learned in school what the rotator cuff does. We learned it's four different muscles. We learned that, you know, I don't have to break it all down, but the supraspinatus does abduction, the infra and teres minor do external rotation, and then the subscap does internal rotation. Mm -hmm. But functionally, they all work together to kind of hug the ball in the socket and provide that, that dynamic joint centration. Mm -hmm. So with this joint that's inherently unstable, the ball and socket joint, if we can recruit isometrically and get the ball centered in the socket and then produce motion, then we're just increasing our stability that much more. And improving proprioception as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and some of the things you do too are not just isometrics in, in like the sagittal plane, but you also do things in the transverse plane too. So you're working the shoulder blade itself or the scapula. Um, so that's pretty interesting that I saw in your program as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the scapular addressing that is super um, interesting because when you, when, you know, we learn about scapular cues, it's, it's mostly down and back for the most part. Um, and, and that recruits the rhomboids really well. And, and you know, most of our patients will, will do well with that cue. But then like, you know, we talk about two postural presentations mostly. And, and one is where the patient just looks like that slumped posture, that classic one we see with shoulder impingement. And, and that's where the rhomboid is more lengthened. And that's when, you know, shoulder blades back and thoracic extension work helps a lot. But if you have that patient who comes in, maybe they're younger and they look like they have relatively good posture, uh, but they still have shoulder pain, that might be a patient who's actually more dominant in their rhomboids. And, and there's a functional relationship between the rhomboid and the serratus anterior. And so if the rhomboid's short, the serratus anterior is lengthened. And if it's in a lengthened position, it's not going to be able to help upward rotation as well. So with those patients, we're cueing a lot more armpits forward, flaring your armpits out to address that upward rotation. I think that so, makes a difference. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's huge. So being able to recognize those postural presentations and then how that ties into to function and motion and clustering that information mm -hmm. is key. So yeah, the, the role between the, the rhomboid and the serratus anterior and not always going down and back is key. I think that when a lot of people do an assessment and they say, ooh, winging skeps, they automatically want to go, okay, let's fix those. And not that they don't want to fix the serratus anterior, but I think a lot of people go to that immediate squeeze back and down. And maybe that person has a very th uh, flat thoracic spine, like you said. So that um, length ten tension relationship is out of whack. So sometimes you can actually feed into their dysfunction rather than, um, than, than 
then fix it. So I think when you go to look at the posture, make sure that you aren't just taking things at face value, actually go in and assess the patient, see what's going on, what is causing these, these abnormalities or, or deficits and, and go from there. So Thank spend God. a little more time rather than just a quick glance. Um, that's why I try to get everybody, you know, within proper um, protocol uh, where I can see them you know, bring in a t-shirt or a sports bra, something like that, or guys can disrobe most of the time. So I think that's really important as oh, in gosh. your assessments. You're so right. And every chance I get, you know, I try to, but even in, you know, you know, we're, we're both an outpatient, you know, sometimes yeah. people go, oh, I forgot this. I forgot yeah, yeah, that. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where, you know, visual skills are important with palpation skills. Absolutely. That too. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So not just taking things at face value assessing what you're seeing and determining a cause for it. Um, because I, when your, your scapula is up and it's closing up that um, subacromial, subacromial space, I'll get it out in a minute, subacromial mm -hmm. space, um, sometimes I think we are so quick to go, okay, let's get that, those shoulder blades back and down and we go right to those scap retractions, um, right to the rows, things like that, bent over rows to try to correct that deviation. And perhaps the patient has more pain um, or, or you just, you're just not getting anywhere. I think you need to relook. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And I, I think back to like the, the rule of thirds a lot where like, you know, a, a third of patients are going to get better, like no matter what you do, third right. of patients aren't going to get better no matter what you do. And then a third needs something very specific. So, and and that's where like, you know, some pop, some shoulder presentation will get better with, with just rows and, and more scap retraction type work. And that's great. But the ones that don't really considering the role, the serratus anterior and trying to maybe try the other way, try more protraction, upper rotation work is, is definitely impactful. Right. Right. Yeah, um, so tell me some more about, about the, um, your, your course and the handlebar. Um, mm -hmm. How do people get involved with that? How do we find it? use it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So as far as, as you know, finding the handlebar, looking it up, just www.thehandlebar.com and handle is spelled H-A-N-D-U-L bar.com. Um, Instagram's a really easy place to uh, find us as well. And that's at the handlebar. I'm posting there uh, three times a week is, is kind of what's been my standard these days but a lot of helpful clinical information, um, information on the shoulder and, and isometrics and, and um, how you can immediately apply that in the clinic. Okay. We also have a lot of students who listen. We have a couple of um, um, colleges locally. I know you're in Greenwich, Connecticut, right? So we probably have some people that probably end up looking for some mentorship or maybe some internships so they can look you up as well. But what advice as far as, you know, you've been out of school for a while, but what advice with the research you've done and all the work you've done um, with the uh, residencies, what do you give advice to students as far as starting out um, that you would do differently or that perhaps you, what path would you pursue that maybe they didn't guide you on in school? Oh, that's such a good question. So I, I always try to, to get people to, to go back to their why and, you know, why'd you get in this profession in the first place? And especially if they're starting to feel jaded already or if they're feeling burned out, mm -hmm. really trying to, to go back to that why and see what that motivator was. So mm -hmm. a motivation I see a lot for people when they're going into PT school is like they want to work with athletes or, or they want to, they're a runner and they want to kind of learn things to help themselves as well. Mm 
-hmm. and, and that's all great. But the reality is we're not all going to work with athletes all the time. And, and that's a good thing, actually. And, and, you know, like I said before, I really think of myself as a, as a strength coach at heart um, with, with some very good physical therapy and manual therapy skills. But if you can take that passion that you have for sports and, and take, you know, think about like the highest progression you can think of that, that motivate you. Like uh, maybe you really like teaching running drills as an example. And then maybe you have an 80 year old balance patient you're working with. And, and, you know, maybe you're doing some kind of like functional march drill where you're walking and you're having them tap their opposite knee and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is boring. It's not. If you think about it, that that's just a regression to a, a sprinter's high knee drill. It's just along that same continuum. You're doing the same thing that you would be, but you're just applying it to a different population and benefiting them differently. It's, it's the same thing with, you know, the, the handlebar. One of our principles is um, how do you help everybody move and feel better, not just athletes, by taking those potent stimuli. And, and one of our most potent stimuli is post-activation potentiation. That, that's where, like, you know, you see um, athletes doing, like, a heavy set of a deadlift and then pairing that with a vertical jump or a broad jump to take advantage of their their nervous system with that heightened um, heightened electricity in their body. So when, when we utilize um, the handlebar, we're thinking about uh, utilizing post-activation potentiation, even if it's an 80 year old woman after a total shoulder replacement, it, it's the same principles and, and just recognize that you're using all those high level principles and just applying it to helping everybody. So hopefully that answers some questions. I believe it does, it really does. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who has been in the, the um, field for a long time who has overlooked these isometrics and has gone back, besides taking your courses, obviously, um, <laughs> to kind of. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if you've been in the field a long time, I mean, I, I work with, with people who have been in the field a long time, and it, it's been great to see mm -hmm. them adopt it as well. And I, I think the the, the best way is like, we traditionally think about like, you know, patients ask all the time, like, well, I had an MRI and I have a tear in there. Like the tear is always going to be there. And classically we'd be like, yeah, but you can kind of strengthen around it. And maybe the inflammation will go down. It won't hurt you as much. You'll have a little pain now and then, but it shouldn't bother you as much. And patients are always in the back of their mind, like, oh, okay, maybe it's still there. Oh, the pain's back. My tear is getting worse and that kind of stuff. But through some fascinating research, and Keith Barr, I mean, he, he's shown that he can, you know, he has this wonderful case study in, in this basketball player who had an MRI pre and it had a severe tendinopathy and then an MRI post. I think it was like a like a six month follow up where there was there was no evidence of tendinopathy anymore. And that was just through isometrics and then a vitamin C and collagen supplement. So it, it's very impactful what we can do with the right stimulus. Mm -hmm. So if you've been out a long time, you know, isometrics, if you try it yourself, you'll, you'll notice a big difference. Yeah. Even if you just, yeah. you know, put a towel against the wall and just push out against it right. and try that right. for 30 seconds, you, right. you'll feel it. Right. And I'm not, you know, and, and I know you're not just pushing just isometrics, you certainly progress, but I think it's a good place to start. So. And oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, the whole system is, you know, really listening closely to the patient getting a good history, manual therapy, <laughs> um stretching isometrics and progressing into isotonics and functional training so right. it's a whole system but but Absolutely. isometrics is definitely missed a lot so right I, I agree completely very much so 
Um, well, where do you see you take? Where do you see yourself taking this next? What's next for you? Oh, that's such a great question. I mean, right now it's just been I've been presenting a lot locally, and and, and Jim's been incredible. He's he's been presenting all over the place, so that's been <laughs> right. helpful as well. Yeah, but. Um, right now we're, we're still, you know, using the clinic. It's, it's used all over the country now. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's been getting lots of great feedback from clinicians and, and people have been buying it. So yeah, I mean, the, the game plan is just to keep progressing, keep connecting with, with like-minded clinicians and, and mm -hmm. thought leaders like yourself, and then just see where it goes from there. That sounds exciting. That sounds exciting. I know you can, oops, I knew that, um, you can't disclose anything else, but do you have anything else in the works? At this point. Uh, not too much right now. I mean, this is really my baby right now. My, you know, I, I've, joked with work. Few, yeah. I've joked with a few colleagues about something called the handle ball, but <laughs> 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 it's really just a lower extremity joke, honestly, that, that uh -huh. my passion uh -huh. is becoming more and more the, the shoulder. So this has okay. been such a fun process. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the patenting process was, was a whole new experience for me to learn, um, mm -hmm. which, which really helped complement my clinical set, learning a little bit more business stuff. But um, it's just so fun to, to work creatively like this and talk to like-minded, uh, mm -hmm. clinicians like yourself. So I, I'm just, you know, thrilled to be here and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the gist. <laughs> well, you didn't, one thing you didn't talk about is your background. I believe it was in hockey, if I'm not mistaken. Um, oh, you got it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, did that influence you at all as far as, um, where you are now? I know that I believe that when you were younger, your dad had a bad injury. If I read, if I'm not mistaken about oh, injury. Yeah. So some of those things influenced you as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, I was a hockey player. Um, I played baseball, basketball, all sorts of stuff. So I've always been such like a, like a mover and I've been so interested in it. So, I mean, that, that got me into strength and conditioning. And right. then from there, that's what led me into the physical therapy field. Mm -hmm. um, luckily my dad's all, you know, herniated disc. We know how that goes. So tons of pain. And then luckily he recovered so well. So um, yeah, luckily it wasn't anything more serious than that, but yeah. That was, was so, that your first kind of introduction to physical therapy? Yeah, it, it really like, that at that point I was so not interested in it it really I didn't get interested in physical therapy at all because I mean until I was in in uh, college until I was my probably my junior year of college when like I was working with these athletes and it was like well man like you know your knee pain is getting in the way of, of you getting faster and I only wanted to help people get stronger and faster and athletes so I was like duh this is like what I want to do but this is getting in the way so that's when I was like all right the, the bell rung in my head and I was like all right I gotta learn how to fix these people and that's like, you know, manual therapy seemed to be what like all the physical therapists were, were talking about and like foam rolling was getting really popular. And I was like, well, I got to get more specific than a foam roller. <laughs> so, and, I, and that's when I did the manual therapy residency and all that good stuff. Right. So, absolutely. Right. Um, so you got, you're still working in the outpatient uh, setting at this point? I am. Yeah. So I'm still, you know, keep my head in the outpatient setting. And we, you know, we have handlebars all over this place. And it's been <laughs> so we, have, we have eight clinicians and we have four handlebars. We, I originally just had one and then it was constantly being used. So we're, we're like constantly testing and retesting and seeing what works and what exercises are best. Um, but yeah, we're, we're in an outpatient setting. Um, and, and yeah, there's, with this practice, there are, I think like 28 locations, but mm -hmm. this, this is a, a, a practice that does a very good job. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of this group. And I'm also um, the head of professional development. So I get to 
to teach the newer grads. We get together once every six weeks and go over manual skills and teaching and stuff like that. Right. And you guys have a residency program as well. So this this location here does not. Um, but we're working on getting um, an, an OCS prep certification or not certification, but program for the new grads. Okay. All right. I was just, um, for the people who are listening, who may be interested, is there anything that, that, or anywhere they can look that up or keep an eye on um, yeah. what, what your yeah, status so, is so they can follow you or at some point maybe join your residency program? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Lattimore Physical Therapy in Rochester, New York. I recently moved here. So this is the, the name of the group. Okay. Lattimore Physical Therapy. Yep. How, do, how do you spell that? Lattimore is L-A-T-T-I-M-O-R-E. Physical I'm therapy. testing you. Yeah, <laughs> there right. you go. I have to like, think about it myself. All right. So if anybody's looking for a residency, um, they can just get in touch with you there. That sounds great. Um, awesome. Well, I'm very excited about the handlebar. I know that uh, Jim has high regards for that. He uses a lot with his patients as well. And as I've, I've been following on Instagram and seeing a lot of people using it. And I know that they, when, when you follow it on Instagram, you see all these people come up with these really cool ideas that add on to what you have it uh, in your program. So it's really nice to follow and, and everybody comes up with new uses and um, probably new applications for it. So I, I enjoy following that on Instagram as well. Yeah, I have, yeah. Me, me as well. I appreciate it. And it's helped me connect with so many great people like Jim. And Jim mentioned um, Seth Foreman as well um, with, with KZN Vector. And he's just, they're, yeah, they're that's just a great product great as well. People and, oh, yeah, yeah, it really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And w- what's really nice is the one is it's very affordable too. So I like that too. I like people who bring a product that actually helps the clinician, helps the patient, and it's affordable. So, oh, yeah, you got it. You got it. So. Well, I appreciate any words of wisdom for, for closing for those uh, who are looking to further their career or perhaps look for your handlebar and use it in the clinic. It, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. You just brought to my mind one last point. Um, you know, when, when you think about um, home exercises, you, you just mentioned the affordability of stuff, which was like hit, hit a bell in my head real quick. So we'll finish with this. Um, when you think about like home exercises or if you think about even like um, let's go more like a new year's resolution. And you hear somebody say like, Oh man, like, you know, I'm going to like, finally do it. I'm going to start brushing my teeth. This is something I'm just going to start doing This is my new year's resolution. I'm going to brush my teeth. Like you never heard anyone say that, but you always hear someone say like, I'm going to start exercise. I'm going to start exercise. This is my year. And, And like, you know, exercise and toothbrushing are both behaviors. So like, what's the difference? So how do we get people to like make exercise more like brushing your teeth? <laughs> so that was kind of one of the main points of the handlebar. And that's kind of another thing how it started was I was telling people to put the handlebar next to their toothbrush and just do like two minutes of isometrics in the morning, two minutes of isometrics at night, just like you would brushing your teeth. And, and that seemed to be like huh, a little paradigm shift for people like, okay, well, maybe it's not like going to the gym, but if I have shoulder pain, Maybe that's all it takes is kind of taking a, a dental hygiene approach and applying it to the shoulder. So that, that was just a uh, rang in my head for one second. I wanted to get that out there before I forgot. So, yeah, I believe you turned it. Um, what, what would you turn, you turn that um, habitual, uh, habitual stacking, I believe is what you yeah, use. Is habit, that the right stacking. habit stacking. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I like that habit stacking. Yeah. And, so. and that was some wonderful research that showed how to make a, a behavior stick. And, and it's just so interesting because we always try something 
But unless you really make it a part of your life, like something you already do, it, it just goes by the wayside so easily. Very so if you, you know, what I usually have people do is they brush their teeth, they use mouthwash and then they hold the mouthwash in their mouth. And that way they have to breathe through their nose, get some of that diaphragm facilitation as well, mm -hmm. and then do whatever isometric exercise we, we programmed for that time. And then a minute or two, it's impactful enough. And then they, yeah, they did their job. <laughs> it's a great idea. They can, they go away proud and can come back reporting. They did what you told them to, and that makes them happy as well. You got mm -hmm. it. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, I appreciate you being on. I will put in the show notes your contact information as far as your website goes and, um, as, and as far as your clinic goes. And people can get in touch with you. Any comments that everyone has, please go ahead and include, um, reach out to me. And any questions, I can pass them along to Eric. All right. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's been so fun. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye, everyone. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.